my subject of my message today is uh, when God's no's are really his yeses. It's interesting, um, we're talking this morning about but you're just understanding who we are and because if we don't understand who we are, it affects every area of our life. You know, we, the basis of every bit of faith is confidence. If we don't have confidence, and I, I think you can't achieve anything in life without confidence. But if we don't have confidence with God, you know, the just shall live by faith. You know, this, uh, Christianity is, I think I like what David said the other week, um, you know, Christianity is, is not about right and wrong. Christianity is about what brings life and what brings death. Which obviously comes down to right and wrongs, doesn't it? I mean, there's certain things you do will bring life, things bring death. It's, it's easy because it's very hard sometimes to interpret how to live. Because we can find a scripture that says this and this. And sometimes we can do the right thing and we're just dead right. You know what I mean? Some people can uh, stick up for what's right and really they're not bringing life at all. They're actually bringing death. And so we've, we've got to, it's a great thing to think about. Jesus has come to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And in that journey, he, he's got to test us, you know, to see whether we've got a hold of that thing called truth. Because it is the truth that makes us free. You know, and we've got an option, we've got a decision in life. Are we going to yield to truth that can set us free? And uh, So God puts us in these circumstances, and that's exactly one of them here. John chapter 4, uh, and this will be the end rather than beginning of where we start. But uh, John chapter 4, verse 46 We'll pick up the story here. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee. Notice he said he came again to Cana of Galilee. Where he'd made the water to wine. It's interesting that uh, just a few passages, chapter 2, uh, it talks about Jesus' first miracle. And it was a sign. Uh, the Greek word is simeon there. It means sign. And so God does his miracles that, you know, is like a signpost to point to something. And it goes on and so says, this is the second sign that he does here in Galilee. He comes back again. And it says that, so he came again to Galilee, where he made the water into wine. And there was a certain noble man who was, whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, between where Jesus is at Cana and Capernaum, it's probably, uh, well, have to forgive me for uh, talking miles. It gives my age a bit. But we're talking about 20 uh, miles, you know, so what's that in kilometres? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fair journey, isn't it? We're talking about a three or four day walk, depending on how well you walk. But, and it's up and downhill. So this man has come, and he's a certain nobleman. It's interesting that they, in the passage here, they... they, they Words in the Bible are not just words. They're words there for a purpose. When you think of the Bible, we have very few words from God that are dependable, and he's put them in this book called the Bible. And there's a lot of words he could have added in, a lot of words he could have taken out. And so, but he precisely uses words. And it's interesting that a lot of stories, it talks about a certain man, you know, because it's not important. But this one, but if it's important to know what his, it'll tell whether it's Peter, whether it's John, or whether it's Jesus. But this one tells it doesn't tell us his name. That's not important. But what is important that this is a noble man. Why don't you take notice? He's a nobleman. He wasn't just anybody. He was somebody with position and power. And of course, when we talk about people with position and power, uh, that changes things. Like if I said to you, you know, you. I want you to come to lunch and we're going to have the Prime Minister there, that would change everything, wouldn't it? 
Now, if you've got, uh, if you're, if you're a nobleman or you're, you're a, you know, you're someone, you, or a businessman, you might be saying, oh, "Thank God for that," because I've got a few things I want to talk to him about. Right, and you'd, you'd, you'd be there with an aggressive stance. But if, you, but if you're just like an ordinary Joe Blow, you'd be thinking like, oh, what am I going to say? What's he going to say to me? You know, uh, uh, yeah, and, you, and you just suddenly feel inferior and very insecure. Isn't it true? Same person, same dinner. But this is a noble man coming. A lot of people came to Jesus. Women came to Jesus. Men, came, But this is a noble man coming to Jesus. And this becomes part of the sign, which is pointing to something that we've got to look at this morning. So this noble man comes in verse 47. When he'd heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him. He went to him, you know, implored him. This is, uh, he implored him. He didn't go and ask him. That's an unusual man, noble man to implore. Noble people just usually tell you, command you, this is what you'll do. They're used to servants, they're used to people doing what they're saying. And, uh, you know, because noblemen control so many jobs, so much money, so much of the economy. Uh, but, this, but he implored you, he came and implored. And, and, you know, the thought is not just imploring, it's begging. Please, Jesus, will you come? And the thought is not just please begging, it's, it's, it's like a, a, a continuous begging. Like it's just not once he asked, he answered a number of, will you please come? come will you please come? You know, it, it's a 20-mile journey. But will you please come? I know it's a 20 but will you please come to my house? My son. You know, there's got to be a lot of sons sick in Israel. There's a lot of people in need. I mean, wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd and a crowd of sick people. All wanting just, some people just, you know, went to touch him. But this man implored him, you know, and, and I've liked this. Sometimes we can be part of a crowd. We can come to church and we can be part of church, but it doesn't mean to say we're being touched by anything. We're just part of it. You know, the crowd looks, but then there's a woman with the issue of blood who walks in and grabs the hand of Henry's brother and says, I shall be healed. You know, it, it's the nobleman who says, you know, who implores and says, I'm not going to leave you. And two, you get your son, you know, you know you're going to look bad. But I, and I might look bad, but I'm going to implore you, to, you know, that you would come and implore. It, it's, it's in, in the Greek, it's in the emphatic, they call it tense, okay? So, we've got the story. He implored him that he would come down and heal his son, for he's at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, so you get this point. He's imploring him, emphatically. He says, uh, you know, um, emotionally. And he said to him, unless you people. Now, when I read the word, unless you people. Unless you people. Now, if I start describing you as you people, you're going to, exactly. You've got it straight off. You people. You don't even know the Greek and you've got the message, you know. (laughs) You people. You people. You know, you're going to say, hey, this is not going to go down well. We're separating ourselves unless you people. Now, that's conditional. Unless. It's like having a button there. Unless you people. So, it's about, so he's about to command something here. He says, unless you people. You people. There's no politeness even here. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no man's believe. Now, 
If you're the person here that's got low self-esteem, you'd go, go Jesus, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have talked to you. That's how some people do it. I mean, but how? But this nobleman has something, you know, there's something, he didn't become successful and stay successful without having something on the inside that we Aussies call guts. Got a bit of aggression, a bit of get up and go. Yeah. Guts, that's a Greek word. You know what the two skeletons said to each other in the closet? If we had enough guts between us, we'd get out of here. It gets better. No, it doesn't, I tell a lie. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe it. It's, you know, this is a no. This is a potential no. And often Jesus tests our faith by seeing what happens when he puts something in the middle of it. We'll see this in a couple of places of Scripture. Sometimes we wonder why we're not healed. That's because we mentioned a few weeks ago we're caught in a thought. The enemy often doesn't... We rarely, I think, some people rarely get to fight principals and powers because they get caught in a thought and the enemy's caught them before they even get into the battle. Catch it with attitudes. Catch it with your self-esteem catches you just little things sometimes it doesn't take little things you know, we, you know beware the little vo- uh, foxes they spoil the vine and then he goes on and says this I want you to notice it. And then Jesus said to him now, I, I, when I read this I, it's, to me it's like two boxes facing up or two kids in the playground if you punch me I'm going to punch you if you tell your dad I'm going to tell my dad my dad's bigger than your dad it's kind of that escalation that goes on with boys in the Playground. And Jesus said to them, Go your way. Uh, so Jesus, he gives an emphatic command. Yeah? Go your way, your son lives. But, this, but notice what the, person, the, the nobleman has said, Sir, when he hears this, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child out. There's two emphatic. He says, Come down. And he says, Go. You know, it's come down. You know, uh, you know, you've got to do it. And he said, Go, your son lives so the man believed the word that jesus spoke to him and he went his way and as he was now going down his servants met him and told him saying your son lives then inquired of them the hour which had got better they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him so the father knew that it was the same hour which jesus said to him your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. Now, isn't that the mate? He See, he just wanted his son healed. But Jesus wanted more than just healing. I mean, you can get physical. You know, his son would die. But, you know, when he heals him, he's going to live, but he's going to die again. There's something greater than... And this is, he calls this the second sign. You know, the second sign, you know, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But his son, you know, he believed and his whole household got saved. There's quite a few places in the Bible where it talks about whole households get saved. If you're with me 
think in the first service I told a story about uh, one of the guys in our church. I'll never forget it. His, his wife said um, he was unsaved and his wife had been coming to church. Another family was saved. She said, look, uh, my husband, could you invite him to the full gospel businessman? So I invited him to the full gospel business. came along to the full gospel business. Nothing happened that night. But it just so happened that we, we were having a, uh, a play at our church the, the, that next Sunday. This was a Friday night. And I invited him. And, and he said to me, yes, he'd come. We arrived out of the church the Sunday with his whole family. And he got out of the car. And he was getting out of the car. He said to his wife, don't think that I'm ever coming back here again. That was a no that really meant a yes. Well, we preached that night. We had the thing that night. And I got a phone call from him next morning. And he said, I want to get baptized in my whole household. He had five children. They were raging probably from about, what, five to 12? And I had to think theologically whether I was really ready to baptize the whole household because they hadn't been up the front for the altar call and the things that we normally did in COC. And this is a whole household, I'm thinking, there. And I'm just glad that I did because he became my assistant pastor. He went on to take a church. When I left Bundaberg and for another pastor, his son became pastor. Then he left after 10 years and his other son became pastor. Three pastors out of baptizing one family. Every single of them did something significant in ministry. His other son, he said he had four sons and one daughter. His other son, he won a, a music competition, right, songwriting competition right across Australia and got $10,000 for it, which is a lot of money, uh, you know, 30 years ago. It was just amazing. But, a whole, but because... The father believed the whole household got saved. You know, there's something powerful. You know, and, 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 you know, but you can, but this, just imagine if this person had not have believed in Jesus and hadn't listened to Jesus and trusted in Jesus and had a, if he had argued with Jesus, if he had a, stopped his faith, he would have been caught in a thought and missed out on his miracle. Now, I believe one of the real keys to this story is very simple. Our values determine our experience. Whatever we value. If we don't have good, what we call identity, good values, and what we identify with, then our experiences will be, well, they'll be either good or bad, what our values are. Let me tell you a story of uh, Sheila Walsh. I'm sure you probably haven't heard of Sheila Walsh, but how many people have heard of the 700 Club? It's still on TV, going strong. I don't have it in net TV uh, with the uh, Christian Channel, but seven. You know, but it's powerful. It was one of the biggest programs in America. It was a daily midday show. Uh, you know, it goes from morning to midday. Ran for three hours every. You know, for the last well, it's been run, running for forty years that I, thirty years that I know of. Anyhow, but in nineteen ninety two. Sheila Walsh was the Christian singer-writer and host of the 700 Club. Then in 1992, she became disconnected spiritually and hit the wall, as she puts it. This is what she says. One morning, 
I was sitting on national television with my nice suit, my inflatable hairdo. <laughs> and that night I was locked. That night, that's the morning, that night I was locked in the ward of the psychiatric hospital. Wow. TV host, presenter. Biggest Christian program in America. In the psychiatric world. Wow. That's got to speak pretty loud. It was the kindest thing that God could ever have done to me. I think I'd be thinking something different if I wasn't there. The very first day in the hospital, my psychiatrist asked me this. Who are you? I replied, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. That's not what I meant, he replied again. Who are you? And she said, I don't have a clue. And he said, now that's right. And that's why you're here. She didn't understand her spiritual identity and had nothing to hold through in the pressures of life. Christian, TV host, and the psychiatric ward. Doesn't get much further apart than that. Our identity is everything. We will never survive the battles unless we know who we are. If you don't know what your rights are, you'll never have your rights. You know, it doesn't matter what nation you belong to. Every citizen has its rights. We have its laws. You know, you've got to know who you are to be able to have your rights. Or you can have rights and uh, be still abused, stolen from or whatever. We've got to lose, know our rights. And our rights come with our identity. I, 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 identity ultimately is who we are. Same question the psychiatrist asked us. I think a lot of us base our identity of who we are on number one, what we have, our possessions, what I do, my performance, what others think of us, our popularity, what I fight, my problems, or what I want, my pleasures. So if I think my identity is about my performance, my possessions, my popularity, my problems, yeah, but that's all some people can talk about, all those issues. You know, and it's not long before you realize when a person talks what they really value. And it's those values that make us what we have and what we are and what we will experience. Jesus has come to put value in us. You know, the whole story here, I said this is the end of the story because the story really starts with Jesus and his mother having a public conversation. Let's turn with it to the uh, Gospel of John chapter 2 and let me read. It says, On the third day there was a wedding. Now I said, the words here all have specific thinking and meaning to them. It's on the third day. You know, three days would become important in the life of Jesus Christ. This is, you know, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so I'll be. There'll, there'll be a death and there'll be a resurrection. Three days, he said, this temple will be 
uh, fall down and be restored again, talking about his own self. But three days. But, you know, it's interesting as we look at days that this earth was created in seven days. Now, I'm not worried about whether you think it's literal days or spiritual days or any other days. It's not what the point of my conversation is about. But three days, you know, that you know, Bible scholars have divided up into three different ways God has spoken to us by three different persons of the Godhood. First 2,000 years, three, we have the Father. If you read the Bible, it's about the Father creating man. It's about Abraham, and it's about Isaac, and it's about Jacob. It's all about the Father. The next, the next when we get into the next one, we start with redemption, and all of a sudden we've got Joshua in the promised land, Jesus in the promised land. You know, and all, the, all we see from then on is blood, 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 and war, and blood, and blood, that finally ends with the blood of Jesus Christ himself on the cross of Calvary. That's the generation of the Son. And then, then the next 2,000 years, which we've been living in this 2,000 years generation since Pentecost. And so these next 2,000 years, we've been, we're in the era of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it comes up and says in the last three days, we're living in the third day. The third day, the third of the group of days. It says in this third day, it says, uh, it says there's a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Notice who's calling her, the mother of Jesus was there, not Mary. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Notice what it says, both Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus has already started his ministry, right? He's got his disciples, he's got himself organized, he's ready to go into ministry. Jesus and his disciples uh, were there, and they're invited to the wedding, verse 3, and they ran out of wine. The mother of Jesus, not Mary, the mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, I've called Lindsay a lot of things. <laughs> Darling, love, Lindsay, but never woman. I do not know what would happen if I called Lindsay woman. But I've got a sneaky submission it would not come out well. I've got a sneaky suspicion. If I call Lindsay woman, that, that it would not just stop there and say, oh, that's nice, Peter. You never called me that before. I love that term. I think if I called her woman, she would have something to say. And I've got the feeling, and I've just a slight inclination, that it would be rather emphatic. Now, if you're calling your wife woman and wonder why you have trouble in your marriage, I can guess you can call it that one word could be your trouble. And he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, I don't know about you, but I would take that as a no. I don't know. I mean, what does your concern have to do with me? And then he goes on and said, my hour has not yet come. Hello. Isn't that people around about you, your disciples? Your hour is here. You've got the disciples. You've got to do something. My hour is not here. You know, and, and he's saying, you know, this is the wrong time, this is the wrong place, and the wrong stuff. I mean, I'm going around healing people, I'm going around delivering people, I'm going saving people, so everybody knows I'm, going, I'm showing I'm going to overcome weather and everything else there, and you want me to pray for wine. I think Jesus should have said, listen, what I'll do is I'll turn the wine into water, not the water into wine. That's another story. 
He said, and the mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. See, now there's a woman. Now there's a woman. Now there's a woman who knows who she is and has confidence in what's going to happen. Man, she's confident. She says, whatever he says, do it. And she walks away. She knows her son. There's a woman who knows God. Because that's a son. Do we know God that well that we can have confidence when his, his apparent no's are really yeses? Because that's what this is. And his mother said to the servant, whatever he says, you do it. Now there was set, I want you to notice this verse 6, there were set six water pots of stone. According to the manif- manner of purification of the Jews, now six water pots for the manner of purification of the Jews. See, what this is the first sign that he does. And kind of go, like, what he's doing is he's trying to say to them, hey, what you have set in stone, I'm going to bring to life in the spirit. I'm going to take the stone and I'm going to make like Exodus water come out of the stone. Cause he take, and I'm going to turn that water into wine. This will be the greatest time of your age as a change. Because, see, what's happening here, if we look at the feast, we have three feasts a year, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. There's seven feasts, three grouped together. Now, we know that the Feast of Passover has been fulfilled literally and historically. Passover happened in Exodus when Moses took the people out, of the, out from Egypt. Right, we know the story. Historically, it's been fulfilled. It was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary spiritually, and we fulfill it in our own lives today, don't we? If you're born again saved, you, the Passover has come to you. He's your Passover lamb. Pentecost has also been fulfilled straight away afterwards because historically, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fell on the church and they all began to speak in tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. And so they got a Pentecostal experience. That's why we're Pentecostals. So the Pentecost was done, according to the words of prophetic. But what never happened... But it's never happened to the church is tabernacles. When the wine and oil would come and the last day revival would come. We've had revivals. We've had, we've had tabernacles every year, but we've never had the tabernacle day. The tabernacle day. See, the church, you know, the church is waiting for the day when Jesus Christ will return and his glory will come down. And this temple that I have, this temple that you have, will be changed as you get caught up to him in the air. And this, this immortality, will, uh, this mortality, I'll say, will take on immortality. We shall be glorified and we'll live in a glorified body for eternity. He'll be preparing us for eternity. We have not got that glorified body. The world is waiting. The people are in their graves. The dead will raise first. The whole world is waiting and groaning for the redemption of final man, for the Feast of Tabernacles, where the drought will be broken, where, where the wine will flow. Because every feast was built around a harvest. Passover, barley harvest, Pentecost, wheat harvest, and finally tabernacles was the wine and oil harvest, the healing of the oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and the wine, the joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, you know, this is going to become the greatest time of age that man's ever seen. We're looking for it to come. It hasn't come. Jesus, you know, the midnight hour when, the, when the, the women didn't have oil in their lamps here. So we see this picture here. And let me just go on and read. It says, And Jesus said, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them, and they drew them out 
and took to the master of the feast. They use the word feast here <coughs> rather than wedding. In verse 11 it says, the, be- the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Galilee, Galilee that manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, these signs are meant to bring belief. You know, it's meant to bring the glory of God. See, God was trying to say to his people, you know, I am changing the things that you have set in stone to things of spirit and life. You know, I am here. You know, I said this morning that uh, Israel has this theology or had this theology, uh, and some Christians have developed it, but they have this theology of the holy places, you know, of Israel. You know, the holy places of Jerusalem is the holy place. There you go, you, know, you can go to Jesus' tomb, you can go here, you can go that. Nothing wrong with doing all those places. I've got the coffee book to prove it. But, you know, what I'm saying, trying to say is, you know, it's not about the place. It's about the person. It's about Jesus. You know, it's, about, it's, it's not about the earthly temple. In fact, Jesus goes into the earthly temple just right after this. When he leaves here, uh, he goes straight into the temple and he plats a whip and drives the money change to the temple. And, 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 and he says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. It's about my house. It's about me. It's not about, it's not about the house. It's not about the mountains. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about your traditions. These traditions were just a signpost to point us to the real signpost that's me. There's a change coming. You know, water's been turned into wine. This is the first sign. You've got to believe a little bit deeper than you've been believing before. You've got to start to expect me. And he drove, it says, the money changes out. And, and they criticized him. And he said, not one stone of this house will be laid upon the other. You know, and he said, you know, and... and he said, and I'll raise this house up in three days. He's talking about his own body, but they were th- t- talking about the temple that was destroyed. The temple was never restored, should never be restored, and will never be restored, you know, because Jesus has been restored. He is the temple, and we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's an, and they, 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 but they're locked in a thought. And they're saying, hold it. It took 46 years to build this temple. That's what he says there in the Scriptures. Historians tell us that Herod had 1,000, at least 1,800 people building the temple for 46 years. He was trying to make a name for himself and get popularity of the people to give them employment. Not a bad economic rationale. And the size, if you've ever been to the temple, the size of those blocks, some of them are two ton. How are you going to raise it up in three tons, two tons when it's taken there? And you, you, you've, what have you got? Nothing. Got a miserable twelve disciples, and you—you know—you're a joke. It can't be done. It's impossible. But see, they're missing it. You know, God's testing their faith all the time to see. You know, they saw the—you know—they see the sign, but they don't see the sign. You know, and, and he says, and he comes to the next one, and he says, the next sign is the sign of a son who's been raised to life, resurrection. Or the first sign is, is that God that wants to bless you. God wants to, you know, he wants to change. The, the sign is that he's changing, you know, how he's working. And then when the second sign, it's about resurrection and life. He's going to raise a son back to life. You know, my time is up. But, you know, we miss out on the signs sometimes because we do not know who we are. When the issues confront us, sometimes we just we allow those little things. You know, if a nobleman hadn't said to Jesus, come to my house, 
if he hadn't have balked at it, if his mother had have balked. But they didn't. Their no was not no, they knew their no was just because they knew who they were. She knew, I am the mother of Jesus. You know, she, she was a spiritual lady. She's at all events. You know, the nobleman knew who he was. My question to you is, do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you know the greater one lives in him? The one who is in eternity and has been, has been, always been, lives in you. Do you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know that you've, you've got authority to lay hands upon the sick? Do you know that you, know, you can ask your father anything, he'll give it to you because you're a child? Do you know that you have an inheritance that he wants to bless you with and have you with? You know, we have things that we should know. We should know our identity. Or what happens will be like the Sheila Walshers of this world. They just got burnt out in the pressure of life because they failed to know who they were. Deep down. People die of sickness because they failed to know who they are. I'm not saying that everyone who dies from sickness is that. But I'm saying, you know, it's a fight in this world. It's a battle. You know, if we, and if we don't have our battle, you know, then you'll, you'll get depression, you'll get sickness, you'll get fear, you'll get doubt. There's, the enemy comes in many, many ways and he brings friends with it. He never comes alone and he does not come. You know, and when he comes back again, he comes worse than he was before. You know, we are in a fight of life and death. We need to know our identity. So when we stand, we know that we come before the very throne room of God looking for mercy and grace and we come with the blood of Jesus our identity is in him Christ is in all for all we need him today I missed the story out here because time doesn't give it but on this journey from from the second sign to Galilee Nicodemus came to Jesus and said what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God he was a ruler of a synagogue in other words, he was a teacher. He'd be our equivalent of a modern-day pastor. And he's saying, what shall I do? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Uh, if, you've, if you've been born again, you know it. Because it's life-changing. It'll turn your water to wine. If you're born again, you'll know you're going to go to heaven. You'll know your identity. Because you know, it's not a work that we do. It's a gift of God. And you just know that you know that you know. And no one will be able to change you, transform you and make you different than that if you don't know that you go to heaven if you die if you don't know and then as you feel the spirit you'll know other things you know that he's going to heal you you know he's for you he's going to deliver you you can know that this morning by just asking Jesus in your heart it's just a simple prayer if you'd like to pray that prayer I'd love to pray that prayer with you and for you today if you everyone would like to close their eyes for a moment and bow their heads